0: Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, here's your host, Jason Day.
1: Welcome friends to the Church Leaders Podcast. We have another great episode for you this week as I was joined by Shane Pruitt. Shane is the director of evangelism for the Southern Baptists of Texas Convention He has served as a church planter and pastor and also speaks at camps, retreats, and conferences across the country. Shane's writings have been featured on churchleaders.com, Relevant, Faith It, Christianity Today, among many others, and his newest book is entitled Nine Common Lies Christians Believe and Why God's Truth is Infinitely Better. On this week's episode, Shane and I talk about why it is important for us as ministry leaders to understand it is okay to give voice to our pain and struggles. Shane shares very openly from his family's journey of adoption and some of the challenges that they have faced. We also discuss the fallacy of following your heart and why that can be so dangerous. Shane is such an encouragement. I don't want to waste any more time. Let's jump right into my conversation with Shane Pruitt. Shane, welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, brother. So good to have you with us. Thank you for making the time uh, to be with us today.
0: Hey, thank you, Jason. Man, what an honor it is to be on. And you know, it's such an honor to do ministry, but whenever you get to do it with friends, Yes. makes it even more sweet so man we're friends so what an honor to be on and do this with uh, my friend
1: yeah that's exciting and and what's so cool is um, you as a, a pastor of many years a church planter um, and now you, you travel, you preach regularly. In uh, you, your, your role as the director of evangelism for the Southern Baptists across the great state of Texas, you, you have such a heart for for people who are far from God. You know, I mean, you're just a natural kind of evangelist, but you have such a heart for pastors, and that's what I just love about you, brother. And so, so excited to have you on the Church Leaders Podcast because our listeners, as you well know, are pastors and ministry leaders, and and excited that they'll be able to hear from you, and uh, praying that they be encouraged. Um, for you, brother, ministry has been at the heart of your life and uh, you and your wife, Casey, and for many years. But you and, and Casey went through a really big God moment where God sort of peeled back a lot of the, the nice little churchy cliches that we so often hear, and God really revealed himself to you guys in, in a really uh, you know, a powerful way, a, a way that you know, really transformed your lives. Can you share with us about your journey um, specifically your experiences as you were adopting your son, Titus?
0: Yeah, Jason. Um, like I said, I love ministry. I love churches. I love the Bride of Christ. I love pastors and leaders. Uh, but I always say my primary ministry is my family. Everything else I do is from the overflow of that. So my family, I have a wonderful wife named Casey. We've been married 14 years. Uh, she is a picture of God's grace in my life. And And um, yeah, I have no qualms at all to say she is uh, way more godly and spiritual than I am. That's how much I respect her and look up to her. Uh, We also have five kids that are 12 and under. So that is a prayer quest, you know, (laughs) Um, our uh, two oldest, uh, Reagan and Harper, are biological daughters, our three youngest are uh, adopted. Our oldest son, Titus, who just turned six, is adopted from Uganda, Africa. So when my wife and I got married, immediately adoption was on our heart. We knew we wanted to adopt. And so um, on into our marriage, we just really felt like God was calling us uh, to that realm of of life to to adopt. And and so we started researching agencies. We came across an agency that we wanted to partner with, a very Christ-centered agency. Uh, We just felt international adoption at that time was on our heart. We also have two younger children that are through local adoption. But at that point in our life, we felt God was calling us to international adoption. We were looking at a list of countries that this agency uh, partnered with, and uh, we both felt like God was calling us to adopt out of Uganda. Uh, We had both been to Uganda, uh, love that that country. We continue to go uh, every year, or at least every other year, um, even now. Uh, to continue to do ministry there in Uganda. And so, so like God was calling us to adopt in Uganda, we were starting the process to uh, adopt. And, you know, Jason, when you adopt internationally, there's tons of paperwork, of course. And one of the pieces of paper that you fill out is almost like a checklist where you check yes or no of things that your family is open to uh in adopting a child and so it may i mean it's all over the realm you know are you open to a child with uh special needs are you open to a child maybe who that has uh an arm amputated are you open to a child that's hiv positive are you open to a child that has uh maybe behavior issues and um as you're filling out this checklist you hate to check no on any of those mm. but to the best of your ability you you try to uh, check what you're open to, where you feel like your family can handle, and be the best fit for a child. and And I'll be honest, at that time, six and a half years ago, we we did a lot more checking of no to things that we were not open to, than checking yes to the things we were open to. And almost at that time, we look back and laugh that that was probably a time that God laughed when we found out that checklist. <laughs> because it's almost like, yeah, guys, like, hey, yeah, fill out your little checklist and see how that works out for you. Isn't right. <laughs> it funny how to do that in so yeah. many realms of life, you know? And so uh, fast forward um, several months later, uh, we get a call from a friend who had a relationship with a baby home in Uganda and said, there's a, a little boy in the, in the baby home there. Uh, families just have not been open to adopting him. For some reason, the Lord put Y'all on our heart, would y'all be open to adopting this little boy he has some needs. He had gotten in a really bad infection on his head where they had to remove uh, a large portion of the scalp, to where almost 40% of his skull was exposed. His mom had died during childbirth. Uh, the dad was a Muslim man with uh, multiple wives. Uh, Titus, his mom was not one of them. So here's this baby at the baby home. And they say, you know what? We don't even know. If he would survive a flight home uh, but we would love to get him to the States and get him in uh, the health care that he needs and we just believe that God was telling us this was our son so we prayed about it felt the Lord say yes uh, we go in country we go through the steps to become his legal guardians there you finalize the adoption here in the States we fly back home he survives the trip we literally Jason uh, we We land at DFW uh, Dallas Fort Worth Airport and drive straight from there to Dallas Children's Hospital and check into the hospital. We're in the hospital for three days and the doctor comes in our room, the neurologist specifically, and he turns off the TV. He scoots up a chair, sits right in front of us. And at that point, you know um, what he's about to say is not good. Right. And he looks at us and basically said through all the tests, we have found out uh, your son has cerebral palsy. He's, uh has a severe seizure disorder. When we were in country with him, going through the process to become legal guardians, he had uh, these shaking episodes. But the, the doctors there said, oh, those are pain tremors from the, the infection on his head. And I mean, we had no experience with seizures, so we right. didn't know anything different. We were like, ah, oh, this looks different than pain tremors. So the doctors here tell us, uh, he's got a severe seizure disorder. He's uh, got a cerebral palsy. Uh, he's having 20 plus seizures a day. And they said there's even chances that he could have possibly been abused through shaking. And I mean, yeah, it hit like a ton of bricks because this is not at all what we have planned for. This is not at all what we filled out a checklist for. Um, as embarrassing as it is to say, when we were going through the process of adoption, we had the blind side story in our mind. You remember the movie The Blind yeah, Side? Yeah. So we're like, we're right, going right. to adopt this, this kid. He's going to be massive and an athlete. And he's going to protect his sisters and he's going to run up and down a football field. And um, God said, nope, uh, my plan is bigger and better than that for you and your family. And, and so for an entire year, Jason, like we internalized the pain and the shock. Of The dream that we had for our family, we internalized that pain and shock that it was going to be significantly different than what we were planning for and On the one-year anniversary Of Titus being home. We just both crashed. Uh, we crashed emotionally physically Spiritually, we didn't have a crisis of faith, but we were just burned out mm-hmm. for an entire year Casey internalized the pain and the frustration um, I, I internalized it in a different way, of making myself really, really busy. The pastor of a fast-growing church at the time, and we wanted to, we wanted to keep it all together on the inside, you know, on the outside, and we wanted to keep up the appearance because we were doing a good thing. We were adopting, and we were now parents of a special needs child, and and we would throw around these one-liner cliches, and people would tell us these all kind of cliches of, hey, God won't give you more than you can handle, and. And all of these things. And at a year end, we just crashed. And, um, and it was in a moment where we had to say, you know what? These cliches aren't helping us and there's nothing there that is sustaining us. And uh, through some great counseling, through some great advice from friends and ministry partners, uh, we just returned back to what God's word had to say and stop relying on all these cliches that people were telling us uh, to get us through those dark nights of the soul. Yeah that that's
1: that's good and and uh I I love your story in so many ways um because you know you know seeing your family today and and just uh you know your your story continues to unfold and so it's just it's a very special thing and just your your honesty that that you both have in the midst of that story you know what I mean and how you know what what your Thoughts were in your maybe your, your vision of, um, you know, adopting a child um, from Uganda and what that might turn into. And, and like you said, God had other things in store. I'm curious, Shane, as you were processing through that year and came to that point of just kind of crashing and, and just opening yourselves up, what was it that helped you, you know, kind of dig beyond a lot of the surface level? Um, niceties, you know, that we, we kind of uh, parrot about when it comes to church and ministry and those types, of especially as, as pastors and ministry leaders, like you said, you know, trying to keep it together on the outside, but there are these kind of niceties that we just kind of use to almost, almost uh, placate one another or just make, it, make, make things feel a little more comfortable. What was it that kind of drove you deeper into, you know, really digging in to the reality of what, not only what you were experiencing, but the reality of God's word and his faithfulness in the midst of what you were experiencing?
0: Yeah, that's such a good word. Um, A really close friend of my wife, um, who is also a special needs parent, you know, told her one day that was just so eye-opening to her, that she shared to me, that was eye-opening to me, and she said, listen, like, it's okay to say it's hard. Mm -hmm. It's okay as you, as the pastor, as our leader, and they were in our church. To say, as our leader, as our pastor, it's okay to say you're struggling. It's okay to, to admit you're not okay. Um, it's okay to, to grieve a loss. And, and so she gave the best advice. She said, You know what? You need to mourn the death of the picture perfect family that you had mine. Wow. And what she meant by that is this is like you had a vision for your family, you had a plan for your family, you had the picture perfect idea of what you want your family to be. And that has now died. And instead of pretending that everything's okay, instead of pretending that everything is is sunshine and, and fields of roses, it's okay to mourn the loss of the vision you had for yourself. It's okay to mourn the loss of the, the goals you had, but in that to also repent and turn to Jesus and realize that God's vision is better than your own vision, that God's plan is better than your own plan and it really drove us back to god's word to see hey okay what is his plan what is his vision and so we kind of called it the death of the picture perfect family mm. meaning there was picture in our mind that we had to to die and deny and turn to god and realize his was exceedingly and abundantly better but through that it was okay to be transparent and authentic and honest and say you know what Uh, my wife, you know, at the time she was struggling with anxiety and it was okay to say that. And it was okay to seek help for that. And that I was struggling with trying to make everything seem like it was good and perfect. And it's okay to say it's not, Mm. but Jesus is good and perfect and we're going to turn to him. And I think it's God's word that sustains us in that. And it's not going to be these little cliches.
1: What a gift that, that was from from your oh, friend there at your church. I mean, because, yeah. I, I mean, it's almost like as you're saying it, um, you know, I, I just had the sense that it's almost like she gave you permission to just be authentic with yourselves in the situation you found yourselves in. You know what I mean? It's almost like she, yeah. she, she kind of uncorked that and said, hey, you have permission to be human. You know what I mean? And sometimes as pastors, ministry leaders— I know you can probably relate to this and many who are listening could probably relate to this. Like we, we tell ourselves that we can be human. Like, you know, we think that, oh yeah, we can be, you know, we can be transparent. Yeah. We, you know, we, we kind of tell ourselves and, and make ourselves think that we're, you know, being human. But the reality is we often hold ourselves to a much very unrealistic, you know, standard and put high expectations on ourselves, and how that, you know, well, we've got people who are looking to us for leadership. How can we, you know, what I mean, expose um some of the the pain that we're going through because we have a responsibility. You know, we almost use, you know, God's calling or the people that God's entrusted us to, the church, you know, the community he's entrusted us to as as an excuse not to not to grieve or not to just be kind of open with, with that pain, right?
0: Oh, no doubt. I mean Jason, you and I, I mean, we can say this. We can admit it ourselves. We know as pastors, as leaders, as ministry leaders, we are the best at giving help. And we're the worst at receiving help. Right. And what we found in our life is like when we in our church, and you know, at the times it's a pastor in our church, like I said, when we pretended and this is what we were doing, pretend when we were pretending like we had it all together, we did not see a lot of freedom in our church to be transparent and authentic because they were like, oh man, like they have it all together. Uh, we need to pretend like what we do, or we don't feel the freedom to open up about our struggles. But what was amazing is that when Casey and I got to a point where to say, you know, we're not okay, but our Jesus is, we're struggling, but we have a savior who gives victory and transforms lives. Like when we became so open and honest about our struggles, we saw this new level of freedom take place in our church because then our People felt the, like the opportunity and the platform to get open and honest about their struggles. And then you see a whole new form of life transformation take place. You know, I think when we uh, give ourselves permissions as leaders to experience life transformation, then those who we're pouring into will experience life transformation. But if we're pretending, our people will pretend. Shane, I'd like to get
1: a bit of your insight on sort of uh, maybe a tension that we as pastors and ministry leaders sometimes find ourselves in. In your newest book, Nine Common Lies That Christians Believe and Why God's Truth is So Much Better, uh, which I love that title, you kind of touch on some of these cliches, some of these kind of one-liners that we often toss around or we hear tossed around the church. And, And one of the things as pastors, sometimes we can easily get overly theological when addressing everyday concerns of those with whom we are ministering. Um, because these are conversations that that we have had in seminary or in college or conversations we're having with one another about, you know, some of these doctrinal issues or um, deep theological issues. And oftentimes people aren't really ready for, you know, just getting into a deep theological conversation on an issue that they're dealing with. And it seems that sometimes people turn to these uh, these one-liners, these cliches, in in a way to sort of just not go too deep, but just kind of give someone something that might might seem helpful at the time. So let me ask you this: as as ministry leader, Shane, how can we best hold in balance uh, these two things—the fullness of and the depth of God's word, right—and the you know the approachability and the application of God's word when we are ministering?
0: Yeah, that's a good word, Jason. Yeah, great question. You know, to kind of go back a little bit, I think I've shared my testimony with you before. Uh, I didn't grow up in the church, which is kind of ironic because I grew up in Texas. So everyone (laughs) in Texas thinks they're Christians, you know, it's like God, country, and guns, but lost, you know, so I didn't grow up in church. In fact, I didn't become a Christian until I was 21. And whenever I got saved, I was hanging out with the pastor of the church, and all my friends were partiers, so I came out of that lifestyle, so I was just hanging out with the pastor of the church all the time. You know, they call some kids gym rats, meaning when the gymnasiums open, they're always in there. Uh, I became a church rat. Like, literally, I went to everything. It'd be Tuesday morning, senior adult Bible study, and it'd be me and a bunch of 70-year-olds, you know? (laughs) Uh, And then the pastor would make hospital visits, and I would go with him. And, And at that time, like, the Lord's called me to ministry, obviously, since then, but At that time, not necessarily because I felt called to ministry, it's just I wanted to spend a lot of time with him. And I knew I could not go back to my old lifestyle, hanging out with the same friends and going to parties and all that and stuff. So one day he goes, hey, Shane, what are you going to do with your life? I said, I don't know. And He goes, well, why don't you at least go to Bible college and learn the Bible? And I go, oh, awesome. Okay, that sounds good. I didn't even know there was a Bible. I didn't know what a Bible college was, you know. So we visited the campus. I looked at the degree program, didn't see any math classes. And I was like, the Lord has spoken. This is where I'm supposed to go. So I started the following semester. So this is what's wild, Jason. Is like I started going to Bible college, and I've only been a Christian for about 10 months. So I walk into Bible college. I'm in the, in the coffee shop, and Bible college students who are preparing to be pastors, ministry leaders, are doing what Bible college students do, right? They're debating Calvinism and Arminianism and all these other isms and I had no idea what they were talking about like I literally just realized the book of Job was Job and not Job, you know what I mean like I just didn't know anything and then professors started discipling me but I knew this, I loved Jesus and I believed that anytime I was going to share the gospel, I just believed that, that person is going to get saved, I was on fire, I say I was ignorance on fire, you know, and um, and then as time went on, I, I grew to love deeply theology, and I grew to love deeply doctrine. But here's what I found out, is the things that we tend to debate about and argue about as pastors, these deep theological truths that we love, is most of the people in our congregation have no clue what we're talking about. You know, uh, they're trying to hold it together. They're the mom was, single mom with three kids, a husband just left them, or, and there's this crisis. And so I think we can err on one or two sides, right? Like you just said, we can err on the side of being so deep theologically that we're way over everybody's heads when we speak, or we're so scared of conflict that even when we hear heresies or we hear bad theology or bad doctrine, we just ignore it, mm-hmm. you know? And that's even in with the people that God's entrusted us to. So, you know, the in, in my book, lies Christians believe, each one deals with a cliche or a lie we tell ourselves. And, you know, as you go through there, you think like, okay, one of the chapters I address is, uh, if a loved one dies, does God gain another angel? We always hear that. Or God won't give you more than you can handle is another one. Or uh, I can never forgive that person. Usually when those statements are being said, it's, it's usually in a time of hurt. You know, like the one like, well, you know, my, my grandmother died, God gained another angel. Well, usually people are saying that in the middle of a loss right so I don't know if us as a pastor we're counsel- counseling this family and maybe they lost their nine-year-old and they're devastated mm-hmm. and they say well my nine-year-old got her wings today I don't know if in that moment go well that's theologically not true I don't know if that's <laughs> helpful in that moment but when cooler heads prevail it is so much better to lean on good, biblical, theological truth. And that is really what's going to sustain us in those dark nights of the soul. And what does the Bible say and not these cliches? And so I think it's so important for us to, to study the Bible, know the Word, because those dark nights of the soul are going to come for all of us. We're all going to experience valleys. We're all going to experience heartaches. We're all going to experience loss. So what theological truths and what biblical truths can we hold on to in that time instead of holding on to these cliches? So, yeah, I agree with you. It's got to be a balance. I think you've got to be wise to the situation, uh, know when to speak up, know what battles to choose. But at all times, we need to be looking for ways to train and disciple and teach our people the, the knowledge of spirit and truth that comes from the word. Um, every day, so that when those times come for our people, they're ready uh, to stand on the truth of God's word.
1: Yeah, Shane, I, re- I really appreciate what you said there because we as ministry leaders have to be discerning, right? So, yeah, um, you know, situation by situation, there's always truth. It's not that we suddenly have situational ethics or anything along those lines. There's always truth, yes. but we have to be perceptive. We have to lean on the Spirit, right? It's the Spirit's guiding and yes. directing us in in these relationships as to when to say what and how to say it, right? So um, yeah. I, I, one of the things that I, I think is important, it comes through in your book, is you kind of address these uh, different, you know, cliches, these one-liners, these lies, basically, that we hear tossed about. I think one of the things that's, that's good, though, is that how you say that we need to, as mystery leaders and as pastors, not let kind of some of this folk theology just run, you know what I mean? Like there, there is a time, there is a place to address that, and there is, and it's important because it helps people see uh, the, a, a truer picture of Christ and of of God, right? So, um, yep. one of the, I, I was just thinking, I was reading through the book. You know, we're, we've stepped into a new year here, and with a, a a new year, people are choosing to, you know, turn over a new leaf and start something fresh and make, you know, they're making resolutions, and this year is going to be the year. It's going to count for something. One of the cliches that you address um in the book is this idea of just follow your heart." And I kind of imagine a lot of people are saying, "Man, in this new year, I'm gonna follow my heart. I'm gonna you know step into that, you know and and let my year be characterized by me finally um following my heart. Uh, can you talk us through why specifically, um that's not a healthy way necessary to approach life?
0: Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you know, yeah. Follow your heart. I mean, I, we see that everywhere, right? You see yeah. it on T-shirts. You see it on coffee mugs. You see it on desktop screen savers with tulips in the background. Just follow your heart. You know, and the idea is like, and you know, I don't know where the statement came from, but when you think of it, follow your heart, as though you know there's something inside you that is this GPS that's never going to get you lost. That is going to like, thump inside of you, or it's going to speak to you. You know, when you reach those forks in the road, it's going to lead you in the right way every time. It's going to tell you who to who to marry, what job to take, and, and all to sum it up, it, it's your heart, you know? Well, if you look at what does the Bible actually say about this, uh, it really is a harmful thing to, to believe, you know, because you look at these cliches and go, oh, is that really a big deal Follow your heart? Is it really that big a deal that we deconstruct that lie and and really see what the Bible says. Well, if you really think about it, it really is a big deal because it's horrible advice. Not only is it biblically untrue, it's just bad, bad advice. I mean, because I mean, you think Jeremiah, uh, you know, and the, the prophet Jeremiah just says, "The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it?" So, you know, in the Bible, in the Old Testament. New Testament, Hebrew word for the heart, the Greek word for the heart basically means the center of your emotions, the center of your feelings. And so what we literally mean when we say follow your heart means to follow your feelings, follow your emotions. And I think that's exactly what culture means when they say it. That's what it's like. like Follow whatever feels right. Follow whatever your emotions are telling you to do. And I think we would all agree that's really bad advice because I don't know about you. My emotions change all the time. And if I'm having a good day, my emotions are going to be a certain way. If I'm having a bad day, my emotions are going to be a certain way. Circumstances change my emotions. And so my emotions are going to lead me right into a ditch. Uh, And then on top of that, where the Bible says, hey, it's deceitful, it's sick, uh, all kind of things flow from it that are evil. I mean, think about, you know, Jason, you're a dad. I'm a dad. I mean, how loving would it be for us to look at one of our kids and say, "Okay, hey, Um, I I got this guy I want you to follow, do whatever he says, go wherever he goes, listen to whatever he tells you to do and be obedient and absolutely follow him. And, oh, yeah, by the way, he's desperately sick. Uh, He's (laughs) deceitful, all kind of evil flows out of him. But follow and listen to whatever he says. That's really bad advice, right? We would, As a loving father, we would never tell our kids that. And so, yeah, at the end of the day, we— We don't follow our heart. We know that biblically uh, we need a new heart and Jesus is the great heart transplant surgeon. And so instead of following our heart, we're pleading with the Lord to give us a new heart. And what's great is when we turn to Jesus, we surrender all to him as Lord and Savior, then God gives us his very best himself. We get the, the Spirit of God inside of us. We have the Holy Spirit, the same power that ripped Jesus out of the grave now lives in us. And the Holy Spirit is now our guide uh, where our heart is not a perfect GPS at all it's a bad GPS our Holy Spirit is the perfect GPS and if we surrender to the Holy Spirit lean upon the Holy Spirit are guided by the Holy Spirit then he will always lead us in the right path you know so you know and when we look at it and go oh well that, that's a harmful innocent cliche well when you really dig deep and what it means uh, it's a very dangerous thing to believe, and it's very dangerous advice. And that's why we got to return to what God actually says and what God actually gives us as a GPS to lead us. Um, and that's why God's truth is infinitely better than those cliches.
1: That's good, brother, and that's just one of the nine common lies that um, you kind of open up, reveal, and help people see what God's truth is, is really saying. Um, in your newest book. So thank you for sharing with us. Brother, I was just wondering, as we're kind of closing our time down together, is there any words of encouragement? You know, right, you're, you're talking to your brothers and sisters, you know, ministry leaders, pastors. Is there any encouragement that you'd like to leave with those who are listening in today?
0: Yeah, great. Thank you, my friend. You know, it's interesting is how we've opened and closing uh, our time together here on this uh, great podcast is, exactly how the book unfolds because i kind of open the book with our journey of adopting our son titus and then i close with the rest of the story and it really is perfect to what you're asking is uh, it's it's interesting that we're talking about a book on cliches and i can give a cliche but to really trust the lord and to know that his dream is better his plan is better uh, his way is better his truth is infinitely better Um, Because now I look at our son and he's been with us for six years and I look over those six years and By far, they've been the hardest six years of our life. Our son Titus still suffers with seizures. There's he's had 12 major surgeries Uh, There's constantly doctor visits constantly therapists um, you know constantly different things and needs that he has and there's a whole nother level of suffering Uh, To see your child suffering. It's one thing for you to suffer. But when you watch your 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 children suffer It's a whole nother level. And so we look at it and go man. It's been by far the hardest six years of our life and Jason all the time we get people ask us and say hey Shane Casey uh, If you knew six years ago what you know now Would you still have Adopted Titus, you know if you could go back six years and you know then what you know now and all the things that's gone and take place in these last six years, would you still have adopted him? And I think we want to, once again, we want to be super Christians and reveal the S on our chest and go, yes, because we're super Christians and we're pastors and leaders. But if we were to be honest, if we were to be authentic, transparent, and I want to be very specific how how I say this, uh, the people who we were, I want to be intentional how I say that. The people who we were six years ago would have probably said, no, we can't do that. We can't take that on. Uh, We're not equipped for that. Uh, We don't have time for that. We're in ministry, so we don't have time for that. I mean, can you imagine? We don't have time for that. We're in ministry. We're really busy doing things for God. Uh, And so we would have said, no, we can't. We can't handle that. We can't take that on. That's more than we can handle. And here's the good news is I truly believe that's why God didn't consult with us. Mm, Right. (laughs) He knew knew better what we needed than we did. And so it's been by far the hardest six years of our life. But Jason, it's been by far the greatest six years of our life as well. And uh, I truly believe that God has used Titus to make me a better follower of Jesus, to make me a better husband, a better father, a better friend a better leader. Same thing has happened for my life. And what's interesting is, you know, Jason, every day, and you know, our, our son, every day, Casey and I lay hands on him to pray for his healing, his physical healing, because we believe God can do that. With just the thought, God could heal our son. So every day we pray for God to heal our son. But what's ironic over these last six years, as we've been praying for God to heal our son, God has been using our son to heal us and to kill things in our life that are ungodly, and to kill things in our life that just don't matter. And so all that the circle boundary, every asks, is just to know that God's way is better. Uh, It's not always easier, and uh, it's going to be really difficult sometimes, uh, but God's way is better. His Word is infinitely better, and that is what will sustain us. You know, a lot of times our cliches that we hear and share, you know, sound nice and maybe are fun, but I've told others before, they're kind of like marshmallows. I don't know about you, but uh, I love marshmallows, like, for the first three. Like, I feel like the first three marshmallows you eat are really good, and then it gets old and nasty really fast. And if you keep eating them, your teeth are going to fall out, you know? It's kind of like these cliches. They may sound really good at first, and they sound really innocent, but if you keep digesting them, and this is what you believe, they get old quick, and it's going to cause your faith to fall out in a sense, you know? and to know that God's Word is so much better, and uh, God's plan is so much better, and God's vision is so much better. So every day I think it's a a new surrendering to God's plan. You know, I think we surrender obviously to God in salvation, but I think every day is a new surrendering to His will for our life, His vision, His plan, and His Word and His truth that's simply better than these cliches and lies that we believe and tell ourselves.
1: That's good, brother, man. That's beautiful. I I love I love your story. I love how how God has worked through Titus and um, and through your entire family, and how He is continuing to do that. How your story is continuing to be written, right? And and that's true for all of us. So, um, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, quickly, Shane how how can our listeners connect with you, um, learn a m- more about uh, your ministry, your book, those types of things?
0: Yeah, absolutely. The best place to connect with me just through all things, through uh, the blogs and articles. All right. Sermon videos are on there. Uh, there's a, a page uh, about the book and how to connect and buy the book. It's just shanepruitt.com. Uh, yeah, last name is spelled P-R-U-I-T-T, so just shanepruitt.com. Perfect, brother. Um,
1: and we'll have that that link in the show notes uh, for our listeners, so that's awesome. Man, brother, so good to uh, have you with us on the podcast. Love you, appreciate you. And uh, I just love um, hearing how God is just doing amazing things in and through you and your family. So thank you for uh, being here with us.
0: Hey, thank you so much, my friend. I love and appreciate you. And it's a true honor to be on here with you. It's a joy to watch how God works through you for his kingdom advancement.
1: Awesome. God bless you, my friend. God bless you, brother.